And uh, those of you who aren't, haven't been here for a while or aren't here regularly, I've been preaching my way through Ephesians since the beginning of this year, since the beginning of 2018. And as we come to Ephesians 6, and it talks about this, the Christian's battle in life and the armor of God that he provides for us, we've slowed right down, and I'm almost doing it phrase by phrase as we come towards the end of the chapter. And so there are um, sermon CDs of the last few weeks of that. Uh, there are notes of last week. If you ask me for earlier ones, I can print them and give them to you anytime. Um, let's pray before we get into it again today. Can I pray as we do this now for uh, Joe's friend, Jimmy's cousin, Kenny, one of the, uh, the traveler community. He had multiple strokes uh, recently, and he's coming through that. But uh, um, Jimmy is going to be baptized sometime soon as well. Oh, amen. He's going to come through to know the Lord. So uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, we commit ourselves to you now as we come to your word. Pray, Holy Spirit, you'll inspire us. You take words and give them kind of body, meaning, almost flesh and bone, so that they get into our flesh and bone. They, 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 they're delivered into our hearts, into our guts. They, they begin to shape us and change us. Do that through your word, we pray today, Holy Spirit, for Jesus' name's sake. And for Kenny in hospital still recovering from his strokes. And we pray that he'll be able to get the scans and things he needs so they can positively diagnose what help he needs on that. But we pray for yet another person to come to faith in you as you deliver them through their trials and help them in their troubles. Amen. 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 So today... We're looking at the breastplate of righteousness, but let's, let's pick it up again, read from Ephesians 6 verse 10, which is where really Ephesians chapter 6 should start. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. I mustn't pause and re-preach things I preached a few weeks ago, must I? Isn't time. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. <coughs> Oh, I knew it was going to be bad. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, stand. therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armour on your chest. Your feet sandaled or shod with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation take the shield of faith and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is God's word. And pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So two brief reminders as we start today. First of all, remember, this is the armor of God. These items and others are said in the Old Testament to be things that the Lord himself puts on and then engages with his enemies. And today I'm going to point you to one key passage in Isaiah. All right? This is a parallel passage, which I'm sure 
um, Paul was remembering. Isaiah 15, verse 15. The Lord saw that there was no justice, and he was offended. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation, and his own righteousness supported him. He put on, this is the Messiah, Jesus, put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You see, most of what Paul mentions in Ephesians 6 is drawn from that passage of scripture about the Lord himself and it includes prayer and intercession. And we know that Jesus made in his life with us prayer and intercession, and he now makes prayer and intercession in heaven. That's why prayer at all times is part of the armour of God. It's just it doesn't have a piece of armour to describe it. Remember too that all of this talk of putting armour on the armour of God is a longer and more detailed way of saying what Paul says elsewhere, elsewhere, lisping, put on Jesus Christ. This is how he writes it in Romans 13. The night is nearly over. Oh, I wish it was. It feels to me like the night's getting darker. I don't mean just because the clocks have changed. I mean the current, the current climate of world politics. And the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness. Let us discard the deeds. Where the light? Let's, let's, let's get some more light here. It's getting darker. Well, let's get some more light here then. Discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarrelling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the parallel? Put on the armour of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no plans to satisfy fleshly desires. We looked last week at truth like a belt around your waist. Just a sentence on that. The truth of God is to hold us up, hold us in, and give us core strength. We said that our, our guts or bowels are spoken of in Scripture as the sort or core, seat or core of compassion and courage and conviction. And we need to know the truth and can be convinced of the truth like deep in our core so that it grips us from our deepest insides to working to the outside. Such conviction will give us courage when we need it. And don't think you're going to be feeling brave until you need to feel, be brave. All right. The person who walks around feeling brave and courageous all the time is not sensible, he's a psychopath. But when you need courage, it will come through the Holy Spirit because of inner conviction. You know this is true. Therefore, you can take this stand. So today we're looking at righteousness as a breastplate. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore with righteousness like armour on your chest. We've seen that phrase in Isaiah 59. The Lord himself put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Since no one could come to the rescue, no one could bring deliverance and justice and righteousness into the world, and in that Isaiah case, into the people of Israel, God himself did it. He armed himself up and marched out to bring it about. So it's a breastplate. There's a nice one. It's got a bullet dent in it. It comes from the 1600s. 
Now, the person who wore that lived and didn't die because the breastplate did its work, yes? They were wounded. Maybe a rib was broken, but they were saved from death because of a breastplate. A breastplate protects the upper body and vital organs from damage. Soft flesh is covered by hard metal. So what would be a fatal blow becomes instead a survivable blow. It bruises and wounds, but it doesn't kill. So how is righteousness like a breastplate? How does it protect us? How do we put it on? We need to figure out the word righteousness first. Righteousness is simply being right and doing right. It's justice, the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards, the state of being in proper relationship with God. Being right, being in right standing, and right relationship with God, and then because of that, learning to do what is right. To be declared righteous is to be found innocent of any charge against you. To be shown to have done what is right. And it starts with this, that God is righteous. He is just. Scripture says, in all his ways. You can never accuse God of injustice. Because you're misinterpreting your standards for his, or you're blaming him for something that he never did. He always does what is right. His character is entirely dependable. He's the righteous one. He's the righteous judge of the whole earth. God can do no wrong. It would be against his character. He's the righteous one. And he has engineered for us, we read Isaiah 59, there was no righteousness, there was no help for people, so God came in Christ to bring it about. What is he now offering to the world? The gift of of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. Now, if you excuse me a minute, we're going to do a bit of a comparative religion. All right. Just about every religion has the same message. Almost every religion has the same message. You must do what's right, and then you'll prove to be acceptable, and you can move on. So if you're a Muslim, you can enter paradise through doing the right things. Or if you're a Hindu, you can be reincarnated into a better form or status. You'll come back as a rich man, not a poor man, that kind of thing. Or if you're a Buddhist, if you do what is right, in this life you'll enter into nirvana. The best description I've got of nirvana is nothingness, which doesn't seem like a great hope to me, does it? You have to be righteous to make the grade, to go on to the next thing, to a better life beyond this one. You've got to do it. You've got to build your record up. You've got, to, you've got to add to your tally. Almost every religion, that's the message. You better shape up because then you can graduate. Except for real Christianity. The gospel of Jesus is profoundly different. God has taken it upon himself to bring righteousness to us. Isaiah 59. He himself has done it. You see, Jesus came, the Son of God, made man and lived a perfectly righteous life. Everything he did pleased the Father. He didn't transgress one of God's laws. He then went to the cross and died, bearing our unrighteousness. We sang it earlier. The sin of the whole world. All our sin our wrong, our rebellion, our unbelief, our enmity against God. Jesus bore every gram of that in himself. 
on the cross. He died and was buried in a tomb. But then after three days, he rose from the dead, proving that the whole of our debt had been paid. Jesus doesn't just does not offer us a way to righteousness. He offers us the gift of righteousness. It's not just a path so you can do better. It's actually the empowerment. It's an acquittal and an empowerment. Saved from all of your past and empowered now to live a new life. We're acceptable to God not on the basis of anything we do except to trust in the Lord Jesus to save us. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, not by adding to our tally. We're saved because God has given us a huge deposit of grace, which all we receive is through faith. And if you think faith is a big thing, I I came up with a comparison talking with Carol this week. Faith is no more than this. And we were taking uh, Moss out the, the other day in the afternoon. And I thought, in walking along holding mosses, that's our grandson, by the way, to interpret for you. you know, I wasn't gra- dragging along a piece of, you know, moss. <laughs> and it wasn't a dog, it was our, son, our grandson. He's just getting into talking, moss. I, I, I kind of hypothesized, you know, supposed to myself, what if he said, I'm taking granddad for a walk, you know? <laughs> he might think that. Yeah. But who's the strong one? If he starts to cross the traffic ahead of time, who's going to stop him? Faith is no more than the grip of moss on my hand. My hand is a strong hand. You know, you say, your granddad, yeah, but I've still got a bit of strength. (laughs) My hand is a strong hand. Your faith is your small grip on an almighty God. The strength is his, not yours. We are saved by grace through faith. Even faith isn't something we brought to the party. God gave us it. The faith itself is the gift of God, Ephesians 2. (laughs) You say you should be a gospel preacher, David. I thought I was. We have eternal life now through believing in Jesus. And though some of us will die, but we will be raised to immortality, others who are alive when the Lord Jesus returns will never die at all but be transformed in that moment. He has overcome death. Eternal life and resurrection to glory are not a reward for work done. They're the gift of God to all who will trust in God's Son, Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness, says the Old Testament. You say, well, that's good, yeah. But in our hearts we go, yeah, but you think you've got to do something. Because that's the, that's the sneaky thing that was sown in our hearts by Satan in the fall. We question, oh, no, it can't be that. No, it must be something. We miss this point. It's a gift of righteousness to us, but it was enormously expensive. And the price has been paid. Having this gift of righteousness by grace through faith is neither simple or cheap. Oh, it costs you nothing other than small faith. But so that God could declare people who were clearly unrighteous, unclean, and unholy, call them righteous, 
clean and holy, a terrible transaction had to be made. Awesome and terrible. Their sin, their guilt, the just wrath of God, I mean wrath, anger, violent anger of God against them personally had to be transferred onto someone else. Someone who did not have their own sin and guilt. Someone who was undeserving of the wrath of God. Someone perfect. Who on earth could that be? Jesus. Jesus. The eternal Son of God made man. That's who. And the transaction was made through the events of what we remember at Easter, which I'll summarize in these G's for you, just to tell the story again. In Gethsemane, through the early hours of the night, the morning, Jesus wrestled in prayer to accept the dreadful burden of the sins of the world upon himself. He called it this cup that the Father was handing to him. The cup was sin and suffering. He was going to suffer because he was going to bear the sin. And he wrestled to accept that cup from the Father. So, but he did accept it. And then he carried, in a sense, the weight of that through the following. Gabbatha, the pavement. Pilate, when Jesus had already had a couple of unjust kangaroo courts, he had appeared before, comes to Pilate, the governor of Judea. Governor brings him out, says, I don't find any fault in this man, I'll let him go. No, 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 no. Crucify him. Why? What sin has he done? I can't find any fault in him. Yet Jesus was condemned to death, to crucifixion, having been declared righteous. Officially, legally declared righteous, he was then crucified as a sinner. Gabbatha is where that started. And then Jesus was led to the guard room or to the, the area where the guards were, they, they, their exercise yards and whatever else. And there he was flogged and beaten. A crown of thorns was thrust into his head and they put a robe on him and mocked him as if he was some sort of Roman dignitary or even an emperor. Hail, King of the Jews. And then he was led to Golgotha. We usually know that there's Calvary. That's the Latin version of that. The Aramaic version is Golgotha, just as the, the, the Aramaic for pavement is Gabbatha. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Did it look like a skull, or is it just the fact that a lot of people died there? I'm not too sure, but it's called the place of the skull. And there Jesus was crucified between two thieves, one of whom he took to paradise with him before the day with that. Golgotha. And then Jesus' body was taken down and laid in a grave, all the tomb. I use a, a fifth G there for the sake of it, where he lay for three days. All of that, not just a moment on the cross, but all of that was the enactment of what the Bible calls atonement. Atonement. It's the transaction by which the sin of the world was taken by Jesus and paid for by Jesus. His sin-bearing sacrifice, of course, had been foreshadowed by the Old Testament sacrifices, especially the Day of Atonement ritual. But what happened to bring about our rescue, our salvation, and the gift of righteousness was not done in a moment on the cross 
But I would argue in altogether more than 12 hours of Jesus pouring out his soul to the point of death. And then three days in the grave. When God forgives anyone, it's on the basis of that price having been paid. It wasn't cheap. It's not easy. It just doesn't cost you. It cost him. Our sentence of death was taken by Jesus. The waves of the wrath of God poured over Christ on the cross. So for someone to be declared righteous by God doesn't depend upon their past or present behavior, but upon their being included in this atonement that Jesus made by his body being broken, his blood being shed, and his soul being poured out in suffering. And it's because of the atonement that Jesus made, God can be just and yet justify, declare not guilty, those who really are guilty, but they're trusting in Jesus. And he can set aside their history of sin and unrighteousness and count them righteous in Jesus. One of my favorite scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5. God made Jesus, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a terrific transaction. Awesome transaction. My sin was laid on Jesus so that his value, his moral excellence, his goodness, his righteousness might be laid upon me. What an exchange. So we put on his righteousness as a gift like putting on a breastplate. We take hold of these truths and we apply them to ourselves. This is true. It was, it was recognizing this truth of what Christ had done for me, what the transaction of the atonement was, I think, that, that in the end finally broke my heart and brought me to be a Christian. It was understanding that in the moment of the Holy Spirit enlightening it to me. I was like, what, what, what? Wow. So we have a position of being counted righteous in Jesus. But that is then worked out in practice, the way we live. Faith produces fruit. What we believe produces the way we now live. It works through from believing to living. And here's how. A couple of A's for you. First of all, righteousness as an appetite, by which I mean a longing desire, something that comes from your heart or your guts. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Just a few sentences and picking them through. Jesus said, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. An appetite for doing what's right, what's pleasing to God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees who were outward legalists, they did things to show and just to tick the, tick the box that they kept the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, not, it's got to be not just outward and not, just, not legalistic. It's got to be something that's from, from the heart. And then, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to put a show on. To be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So in those things Jesus tells us 
We should hunger and thirst for righteousness, seeking this and the kingdom of God as our first and highest priority. Our, our being right and doing right and being Christians and living in this gift of righteousness is not for show or legalistic. We're not to be people who are always you know, pretending we're better than other people and higher than them. But we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Even though we don't flaunt our living for the joy of God, the world will see it and they will resent it. You're having a better time than me. Why? And the answer is just because God loves me. Who are you to say that? It goes on. Righteousness is an appetite, a hunger, a thirst. You know, most of us never really get hungry or thirsty. We get a little bit peckish. <laughs> and we, we can't even control that. You know, we, we feel a little bit peckish. It's, it's, it's got to be something goes down there. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're really hungry, wow. There's no thought in your mind, but I must. And if you're really thirsty, it's like, I must get a drink. I must, must, I have to get a drink. It's a huge motivation when you're really hungry, when you're really thirsty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And righteousness is also an attitude. It's something that goes on in our mind, our will. It's a goal, a focus, a determination. And we protect our heart, our inner person, our being, by putting on righteousness as a blessed breastplate, by having an appetite to do what is right and please God, thanking him for the gift of righteousness that is already out. But then we also put on an attitude of mind too. We say to ourselves, I'm here to do what is right, what is pleasing to my master and honors him. That's what I'm living for now. I'm here to do what's right, not continue to do what's wrong. It's an attitude of mind. But even as we pursue righteousness, we're not building our own we're living still in his righteousness, the gift of righteousness. We put on Christ Jesus. He alone is our righteousness, and that, but our weakness is defended by his strength. Our past dishonor is defended by his honor. But I had a thought just this morning that, you know, we protect something so they can grow. Okay. We protect something so they can grow. We protect a child from harm so they can grow. If you've got a, a plant that doesn't like the cold too much, you protect it during the winter so it's still there the next year and can continue on growing. In, in that sense, the breastplate of Christ's righteousness, which is like, you know, I talk about hard, hard metal on soft flesh. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm soft, I'm weak, I'm, but there's a, something solid here. Gives me an opportunity within the gift of righteousness, which is already mine in Christ Jesus, to begin to learn and grow. And change. To begin to learn what pleases the Lord. To begin to put off some stuff and learn other things. To grow in the grace of God within the safety of the fact I'm already covered by his righteousness. Do you get that? It's a protection within which you can grow. And then righteousness is in action. It's a whole way of life for your whole being. So we learn to do what is right, to live in what is good, for the honor of the Lord has already made us righteous. So righteousness is both our, both our standing in Christ Jesus and the way we now live. But let's not pretend we, we get everything right all the time, because we don't. <laughs> righteousness is both our acceptance by God in Christ and the new way of life by which we honor him as Lord. 
You see, Scripture says we're justified by faith, yes, but also in Romans, and I didn't want to get into all of Romans today, so I've avoided it. But it talks about us being justified in life. It begins to be practical. What's in us begins to work through us. As faith produces works, a way of life that demonstrates faith and obedience to God through Jesus. Faith without works, as James, is dead. Faith has to produce something. Be shown to be alive and real and working. It produces works. Here's a good quote from good old Martin Luther, great reformer. Our good works do not generate righteousness. Rather, our righteousness in Christ generates good works. Got it? We're not adding to our score because our score is already perfect. It's, it's, our measure is the measure of Jesus. That's the gift of righteousness which we have received already through trusting in Jesus. All right? We're not adding to that. You can't add to that. But we grow up within it. And our good works are not adding to something that's showing that we are living by faith in the Son of God and His life is in us. Our righteousness in Christ generates the good works. We need to pursue righteousness. Look with me at this scripture, Romans 6. I said I wouldn't do any Romans, there's just this bit. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. You've been, cut, you've been set free from the kingdom of sin and darkness. So don't let sin reign. Do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons now for righteousness. What you used to use to do evil... Use it now to do good. Weapons for righteousness. And here's the promise. For sin will not rule over you. Because you are not under law. Under condemnation. Under guilt. But you are under grace. And in another place, Paul says, again I'm quoting Romans, how much more will those who have received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ. Amen. That is not self-effort. That's having received gift. Abundance of grace and gift of righteousness. You're free to live for the glory of God. Amen. We're not building our own righteousness, but living within the gift of righteousness, this breastplate which is ours in Christ Jesus. We put on Christ Jesus, though, in, 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 in appetite, in attitude, and live for him. We're putting on this breastplate which covers our natural weakness. Weapons of righteousness, yeah. Philippians. Yes. Philippians. Oh. It's this one. Yeah, that's right. Philippians, sorry. This is, this is Paul writing about himself as an example. Philippians 3 verse 7. Everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. It's a strong word he uses there. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. This is not about my scorecard. 
but the righteousness that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based only on faith. But we do not use this gift of righteousness, which is like a breastplate for us, as a a, a thing within which we can hide and entertain wrongdoing because it's all right. You know, some argue, say, because I'm in Christ, it doesn't matter what I do because God doesn't see me, he just sees Jesus. I've got news for you. Mm -mm. That is not what the New Testament teaches at all. Grace changes us and empowers us to live righteously. For the grace of God, Titus 2, has appeared with salvation for all people, and the grace of God instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us to himself. But listen to this. To redeem us from all lawlessness, all of our old ways of rebellion and unbelief, and to cleanse for himself a people for his own position, eager to do good works. They're not nothings. They're not people who are just cloaking the fact that there's all this mess still going on. They're learning to live rightly because they're taught by the grace of God. Being already accounted as righteous by God through Jesus, we're to pursue righteousness in real life, real time. Paul writes to Timothy like that too. First letter to Timothy, you men of God, run from these things, youthful lusts and other things, and pursue, go after, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Second letter, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I wonder... If anyone's thinking this morning, well, I thought being a Christian was supposed to be easy. Well, I've got some advice for you. Nothing of real value or quality is easy. That's why you pay more for better made clothes. You pay a lot for a, ma- for a painting that's been painted by a master rather than Arthur down the road. <laughs> because nothing of real quality is easy. It takes time and care, and skill. And that's why some things have the value they do. But sometimes the values get silly. I mean, I understand that. Everything of real quality takes time and trouble. And a life of faith takes a lifetime to do. And you're still learning and you're still growing. And growth in character takes effort and endurance and overcoming things along the way. That's where you grow in character. So, no, it isn't easy. And look, can we get rid of, all, once and for all, this idea of a bed of roses? Because a bed of roses has thorns in it, so I don't even go there. <laughs> Rose petals, maybe, but no, it isn't. You know, life can be very tough, but God is great. God is good. And he gives us a gift of righteousness within which we can live secure as he works out in us. His change, his rescue, his salvation, which we'll come to when we look at the salvation of God in the helmet. Therefore, since these things are true, we need to keep good conscience. We need to maintain a good conscience. Know that we are talking to the Lord about anything we're getting wrong. We understand, you know, a sense of we're not doing well there. We're talking about that. We're dealing with that with him. We're not covering it up. Because if we know we're doing wrong... We are weak. Yeah. 
when, the sat- when Satan comes to accuse you, if you know you're doing wrong, he's got a clean target. He knows where to aim. So we must keep and maintain a good conscience before the Lord. I know we preached on, I preached on 1 John two years ago. Here it is again. 1 John 3. Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we'll know we belong to the truth and we'll convince our conscience in his presence. There's a, there's a, there's a, there are moments in life where we need to go and argue out before God. I'm, 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 there's something not right. I don't feel right. I'm, I'm, you know, and we go and convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from him because he will keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. This is his command that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him, God in him. The way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he has given us. That's a great promise there. If we're before God and have a clean conscience, we can expect him to hear and answer our prayers. And as far as we're aware, we're keeping his commands and doing what is pleasing in his sight. But if we're not, if we know we're not, he will show us that. The Holy Spirit will teach us that. Forget the accusations of the enemy. Listen to the conviction of the Spirit and deal with it before God. And he will give us opportunity to repent and to change. Now, skipping back a few pages, let's go to... Oh, this is a phrase. I was taught this by my pastor as a teenager. Keep short accounts with God. You probably heard that one? Yeah. Probably Pastor Rob used to say it too. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let the day end without you sorting things out if you need to. Here it is. Oh, Gurnall as well. One quote from him today. Look to your conscience. A good conscience is the vessel that faith sails in. And if the conscience is wrecked, how can faith be safe? Breastplate of righteousness. Put it back on. Deal with the thing. Deal with the offense. Deal with the the conviction that you've done something wrong. And put the breastplate back on quick. So your conscience doesn't get weakened. Here it is in 1 John 5. 1 John 1. This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. I like that translation. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Notice that, not past tense, present tense, continues to continues to deal with with our transgressions along the way through life. If we say we have no sin, I'm a good person, I don't do anything wrong, we are deceiving ourselves. And there's no fool like the fool that made himself a fool. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Conscience restored. Breastplate back on. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 
Oh, sorry, some more. My little children, next chapter, because there aren't really chapters and verses in the visual. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, you may not continue on in your same habits. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation. That's another word like atonement. It's the taking away of sin by blood. He's the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. I know I always go back to the pattern prayer that Jesus gave us. right? Our Father who art in heaven. By the way, that was sung by the Kingdom Choir last night. Part of the pattern prayer that Jesus gave us is this daily petition. We pray for daily bread. We pray this every day. And forgive us our debts or transgressions or sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us or have transgressed against us or sinned against us. We make that transaction. We stand forgiving and asking forgiveness. And when you're forgiven, you are forgiven. That's the promise of Scripture. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Get up, move on. Clean conscience, breastplate put restored. Get on with life again. Seeking the grace of God for there to be change in that area. Maintain a clean conscience. A wounded conscience is like being a wounded soldier. You can make little effort, little progress, gain no ground until the wound is attended to. Don't just put up with a nagging conscience. Please go to God and get it sorted. Confess your sins. Receive his faithful love to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you. And then get up and get on with life. In his grace. One last point here. The breastplate is on the front. It's on your chest. It's not on your back. You wear a breastplate to face or move forwards. There's no armor here listed to provide it for your back. A Christian is safer facing life and fighting in faith and retreating or running away. You're safer fighting than running. Every soldier is. Do you think your enemy will leave you if you give up and run away? No, he's got your back as a big target. His attack will be more effective because we've turned away from our stand and our resistance. You know the phrase, he who fights and lives to fight another day. Well, it's not in the Bible. I don't think there's any good good army manuals either. Because if you run from the enemy, you are a running target. But if you're facing the iron enemy, properly prepared, you are a combatant, not a victim. The whole language of Scripture here in Ephesians 6 is stand, stand, stand. Even in the most evil day, stand wearing the full armor of God. We're counted righteous in Jesus because of all that he's done for us. We're to put on that gift of righteousness as a breastplate. In other words, put on Jesus Christ. Though our flesh, our human nature is still weak, we make, as Romans said, no provision for it. We deny any nourishment or encouragement to unbelief and disobedience and rebellion against the Lord. We choose to adopt an attitude for righteousness. We choose that we're here, Lord, God help me to do right and be right and choose what is right in life. We pursue righteousness and deal with our sins when they happen and our bruised conscience when that happens and find grace from heaven to change. We keep taking the strong medicine of the gospel. The problem with some gospel preaching is it's so weak it produces a weak outcome. People don't know how it's ever going to make any difference to their lives because it's often in a weak kind of way. 
We need the strong medicine of the gospel because it builds us up to deal with life. Some of us need to take certain medicines or perhaps supplements every day. Well, as we shall soon see when we come to the helmet of salvation. We need to put on gospel thinking every day of our lives so that our lives are not frittered and wasted, but are fruitful, productive, and effective for the glory of Christ. Amen. Are you aware of the fact that you have received the gift of righteousness through trusting in Jesus? That that is how God sees you? If that is not so, pray today. Pray now. Give yourself to God through Christ. Say, accept me please. Make me your child. Let me know that I am accepted. That you count the righteousness of Jesus to me and you have absolved me of all of my guilt and all my past and all my sin. Why don't you pray that right now? Then if you're a Christian, how long are you going to put up with this wounded conscience when you know from Scripture there's a clear way for you to deal with it? The promise is there. Why do you listen to the enemy attacking you for things that happened years and years and years ago? You need to pick up the breastplate of righteousness and say, Christ is my righteousness and my sins are covered by his blood. You need to take a stand against that sense of condemnation and accusation. If you you know that you have been forgiven that through Jesus, through trusting in Jesus, then tell the devil to go and find someone else. You're taking your stand in Christ. You believe that you're acceptable to God through him. In those areas in which you know there is change needed, ask God for grace to change. Get grace to help you. For he, he has determined to work out in you what he worked out on the cross for you. Salvation is happening still. Jesus is your saviour. He is saving you. He will save you in the future. Keep believing this gospel. Make it your daily bread. That Jesus died for your sins. He rose again for your justification. He ascended into heaven and even now intercedes for you. He is your saviour. That will not change. Argue back against the doubts that come into your mind and heart with the truth of God. Do it again and again. For there is grace for you. Grace to live. Grace to do well. To not be cast down to not be overthrown. There is grace available to you. You say, well, well, that's a lot, isn't it? Yes, Jesus paid for every bit of it. The price was enormous. 